Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another incredible episode of Market Impact Insights. You know, the philosophy behind this podcast is that in business, it's all about making a positive impact every day. And some of the most significant positive impacts occur during times of change, during times of transition in organizations. And we're going to explore that aspect of change and transition and what great leadership means in that context. And we're going to be talking with Ken Meyer today. And Ken is actually specialized in coming into organizations during just such a time of transition. And he'll be able to share some amazing insights on what he has seen has translated to long-term success for those organizations. But I was doing some research coming into the podcast and thinking about these concepts of change and transition and wondering they're related, but to some extent, they're a little different. And I found some very interesting perspectives from author and organization expert William Bridges. And he noted that change is situational. Transition, on the other hand, is psychological. And so it's not those events, but rather the inner reorientation or the self-redefinition that you have to go through in order to incorporate any of those changes into your life. And Bridges noted that without transition, a change is just a rearrangement of the furniture. And unless transition happens, the change won't work because it doesn't take. So really looking forward to talking to Ken a little bit more about what this broader concept of transition beyond just change is all about and what it takes for successful leadership. And Ken has a very, very interesting and comprehensive background in business. He's a very experienced technology executive with a track record of success, both in for-profit, but also in nonprofit organizations. Uh, Ken has been an advisor to multiple early stage companies. He's been a board member for both family-owned and public companies. And he brings a real depth across leadership, business strategy, and operational execution. He currently serves as an interim executive for companies in transition and is also a leadership and management lecturer at the University of Washington Foster School of Business. Some of Ken's experience on the corporate side, he spent several years at IBM, where he held a variety of positions. He's been a chief financial officer, a general manager of the Northwest region. He has built and led a $500 million North American business unit in the software and computer services space. He has uh, success in mergers, acquisitions. Um, He had a leadership role at Active Voice, where he's a key player in the sale of that company to Cisco. He's co-founded companies. He served as the CEO of the Washington Technology Industry Association. And as I mentioned before, Ken has 
extensive experience coming in as an interim leader for a variety of companies. And those have included Yapta, Vivid Robotics, Hydromaster, and Data.io. So with all of that as a backdrop, really excited to get into the conversation today with Ken. Welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks very much, Dan. Uh, Really looking forward to chatting today. So Ken, you know, I described a bit of your background and you, you began your career in a more traditional trajectory. You worked in a large established technology company in IBM, but then you chose to go in a different direction, taking a more entrepreneurial bent, an advisory bent, uh, and then this interim executive focus. And I'm curious in terms of what motivated you to make that shift to, to really a different direction. Well, I think that at any given time, um, uh, I didn't have a long-term plan to get to where I am today or to take the journey I had. I took my steps one at a time based on what I was thinking and feeling at the time. So uh, IBM was a great company to work for. I learned so much. Um, but I was reaching a point where I wanted to come go to a smaller company where I could have a more a direct impact, uh, where I could learn more uh, get new experiences, that that I couldn't get those at IBM, but just very different when you're working for a very large multinational business. So uh, I left IBM. I had thought I would be leaving much sooner than I ended up doing, uh, ended up uh, leaving, but it turned out that I got great opportunities every few years to learn some new things and take on responsibilities. But after 15 years, it was clear, I, for me at least, that I needed to, to move. And so that, the step out of IBM, the step after that, and, and every kind of journey step I've taken is driven really very much uh, from an internal drive of what feels right. What, what, what do I want to do next? Um, So um, there was no grand plan. It was, uh, I took each step one at a time. Yeah. So thinking about those earlier stages of your career and thinking about what the influences were for you, as you were developing your approach as a leader of people and a leader of businesses and in and around technology, can you talk a little bit about what some of those influences were, people or events? Just what, what helped shape that? So, um, you know, I, as a person, I was very much shaped by my parents and upbringing, which was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. I feel very lucky and blessed to uh, have had the, been raised in the family I was raised in. And then going pr- into work professionally, I was 24 when I joined IBM. I found it to be a very professional company, very merit-based. If you worked hard, you got new opportunities. Uh, They um, uh, invested in you, had a real um, plan. Each leader had kind of a plan for their individual team members and worked with them on that. So uh, that influenced me in the sense of how I think about, for example, working and developing the people that I'm associated with in a team. And then, of course, you have certain leaders that just have a huge impact on you. And I was fortunate to have a couple that really influenced the way I think about how to to lead and work with other people. And as you take those early influences, I'm sure, you know, and we mentioned in the open that you spend a lot of time lecturing. And so you're dealing with the next generation of business leaders as well. Have you found the kind of the carry it forward kind of opportunity to then give back 
and also share for that next generation too of leaders that are coming up? Well, it's interesting, Dan. Um, at least for me, the perhaps the older I get, the more I uh, find joy, value, you know, in the in working with other people and helping other people if I can, because I learn a whole bunch from them as well. In my earlier part of my career, I was very ambitious, no question about it. And um, uh, I think that through there were experiences that also influenced not only my leadership, but really um, had me rethink what I wanted to do professionally. And so through the combination of all this and time, I find that teaching, coaching, uh, working with with companies is just uh, and helping them is very per, you know personally satisfying. Uh, so the while I do certainly enjoy achieving business objectives, uh, the the drive early on was very much around that. Uh, the drive now is that, but in the context of doing it in a way that helps hopefully become people become better leaders themselves. Yeah, you bring up a really good point as a leader myself, uh, that it's not just about what you can inject into that team, right, from your experiences and your perspective, but it's really that symbiotic relationship, right, of, of drawing and learning from the people that are in your organization as well. And I found that absolutely to be the case, uh, to really uh, lead to the to the best results or the, or the, the best positive transformation. Yeah, and I'm learning as time goes on that kind of the adage "less is more" rings true, at least for me. And that is, I'm learning that it's asking good questions is a real skill that you you can't spend enough time working on as a leader. Um, uh, so, asking versus telling. Um, uh, you know, really listening and trying to figure out what for that person motivates them versus uh, another person. Um, uh, aligning people around a shared view of what you're trying to get done. There are some some core kind of approaches that I'm starting to lean to more and more over time. Well, and I know, Ken, both you and I have been in companies that have been acquirers or in companies that have been acquired. So we, we've been through these organizational transitions and changes in terms of ownership, in terms of leadership. And you've taken on one of the most daunting leadership challenges possible, and you've done it multiple times. And that's coming in and being that interim executive, taking the helm during a time of transition. What's that been like, and what are some of the most significant learnings that you've taken from those experiences? Well, as you can imagine, it is a really super interesting role, and each one, not surprisingly, is unique. And so you will sometimes come into a situation in which things are relatively stable. Uh, the leader is no longer there for a number of reasons that would be reasonable, logical. They found another opportunity that uh, you know was a better opportunity for them or it was time to move to another leader, but it happened sooner than planned. Uh, and then you go into other contexts where things aren't as stable. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of stress. And so just the, uh, it's an interesting and in, it can be enjoyable um, uh, uh, place to help a company um, uh, get to the next place it needs to go. And so um, 
I just found, I find it very intellectually stimulating and really satisfying when you can connect with a, a group of folks very quickly. And in most cases, I come in uh, without having met the previous leader. Uh, these are not uh, these these interim roles are not posted as a job listing. Uh, they come up on very short notice, so it might be 48 hours notice between when I um, learn of the opportunity and I'm in there for the first day. So not surprisingly, uh, first impressions and building trust quickly is super key. And so... Um, that's that's the first thing and most important thing is to come is for me is to come in there and I, I need to build credibility with the team and not just the leadership team but but the organization. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that anytime even we've taken on a new role. Maybe it's a promotion or we've changed companies and you think about walking into that conference room or that first Zoom or video call. And you've got a team of and faces that maybe you haven't met before, and there's that feeling out period. So, Ken, I just I think all of us would really benefit from what have you found as being key to really try to accelerate that connection point. You know, it's like building that trust and credibility. Well, I th I think that we all have to be our authentic selves, and so I uh, try to be very honest about, you know, and clear and hopefully positive about why I am here. What, why is there an interim leader in this situation? What do I know and what I don't know? Um, what approach I'll pr take to work with them, which is largely not surprisingly. Um, there'll be a period in this case, it's fairly um, more. It's probably more aggressive than uh, you might in a uh, in a stable company where you're coming into a new role. A period of learning, uh, and then together we're going to figure out what we go focus on. And and uh, so I think you just uh, I think they read first of all whether you're authentic or not, which I think is the first and most important thing. Yeah. And then right behind that, they ask themselves, okay, if they're authentic, great. Do I like do I believe I can trust this person? And um so I think uh, I come in with a bit of humility, uh but but a positivity and a you know kind of confidence that together we can figure out what we need to go get done. Yeah, it, that authenticity, um, and of course, it's the visual cues. It's it's the verbal and the nonverbal, right? You know, so everyone is is kind of uh, putting together a picture of is this someone that I can really trust and, and believe in? And so, uh, definitely, um, there's a dynamic there. And you've obviously been a practicing leader. You lecture on leadership, so I want to ask you this question because I have heard this phrase so often. Uh, during my lifetime. And I'm going to ask you this, and I really want to get your take on it. And that is the phrase, great business leaders are born, not made. Well, it's funny you should say that, Dan, because it's the first question that I ask my students. And actually, this, the, the data scholarship is fairly clear. The, the answer is both, but they're predominantly made. You know, approximately a third about of, of who you are um, as a leader is a function of your intelligence quotient and your personality and, and other genetic endowments. But two-thirds, slightly more than two-thirds is a function of, uh, you know, 
who you've become and your willingness to become someone different. And it's, it's, that's, that's pretty clear. And I, I also think it's important that it isn't really the case in my mind that you are or are not a leader. You are either likely to be exhibiting positive leader behaviors or negative leader behaviors. So it's, it's not a state, uh, it's not a set of traits, it's a state, you know? And yeah. so sometimes I, as a leader, meaning I have a leadership role, do very poor leadership behaviors. And I hopefully am doing more better, positive, motivational, and, you know, trusting leadership behaviors. And I prefer to think of it that way, that you're not, it's not a, a trait uh, it's something that it, uh, it's about who you are as a human being in the act of trying to motivate and inspire or align or um, otherwise um, uh, move a group of people that you're working with um, or frankly, uh, a family setting too. It's, it's, you have an, a certain a, a authoritative role that you're playing and how do you show up and then how do you uh, behave to as you work with other people? So I, yeah. the thing that I love about uh, leadership is, you know, when you study uh, how to become a better leader, you're really studying about how to become a better version of you. Yeah, you're really onto something there because what that implies is there's this accountability, right? So the the are you a leader or not leader? It's not defined by what title you carry in the organization. It may not even uh, be defined by whatever endorsements you might have, you know, coming into a situation, but it's that accountability, responsibility, but also opportunity for everyone to actually be able to exhibit those behaviors. So I really like the way you you frame that. Well, you go in if you go into any business or anyone listening to this and they look around the peop, around the team they're working with, if I ask them, "Hey, who are the leaders here?" Uh, they would name the people and they may or may not have titles associated with them. That's right. And in in, in many organizations, right? Uh, whether it's an individual contributor, we hear that term all the time, classifications, it defies classification, right? Whether you are a people manager, could be an individual contributor, there are those opportunities to demonstrate leadership behaviors. Yeah. 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 Very well put. So one of the other things you've talked about, Ken, is the importance of context when we think about leadership. What is that exactly? And are there some other foundational principles you believe are essential for highly effective leaders? Well, I, I in the, in, in terms of context, you know, it's, it wouldn't surprise anyone listening to this that what what is needed from you as a leader is is the function of what you're presented with, who you're working with, what is it the situation is that you're dealing with, and so um, you know, if you listen to the context, the context, and and you seek to really understand it, it will inform you as to what you need to do. I mean, surgeons or um, uh, military leaders um, operate in the way they do because of the context they're in, right? Just as creative uh, uh, leaders in an ad agency, you know, a, a surgeon and their approach 
may or may not, we would probably argue, perhaps not, work effectively in an advertising agency with a bunch of creative minds and vice versa. So the first concept is really let listen to the context and make sure you're you're tuned into it because um, you don't want to come with a one-size-fits-all approach to how you're going to work and motivate other people. Um, I think another concept that I found useful as I – and then by the way, I, I should be very honest. I did not read any books about leadership growing up in business ever. Um, and I only started reading them uh, in preparation for teaching about leadership. And I'm glad I had a year to prepare for it because I was fortunate to have mentors help me learn what I needed to learn to improve my knowledge about how to uh, how, how leadership operates. But some of the other things that come to mind are, you know, you have a toolbox as a leader to how you work with and motivate other folks. And one set of those tools is really around creating a shared understanding about what what role the person or persons have. What does success look like? How are you going to work together? And and in terms of what how, you know, what what stuff do you need to decide? What can they decide? How are you going to check in with each other? It's kind of the mechanics of how you're going to work together and get agreement about about what we're going to try to get done. And that's one set of, of leadership or managerially more oriented skills. And then there's another set of skills really around motivation. And what what's pretty clear is that really strong leaders um, motivate by tapping into the internal motivations people have. It's not about mo- the money or title, that, not that those aren't important. But if you really want to motivate another human, you tap into their you know, internal motivations. And, and you can do that by making sure that when you lead them, you're not leading them the same way as somebody else, meaning you really individualize your leadership, uh, that you um, challenge them intellectually to think and to be creative and to push back, which takes a lot of humility on your part as a leader. Um, and um, and that you're walking the talk, that you're 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 a role model for the kinds of behaviors you hope they'll exhibit. And so there's there's a there's a mix of skills you hopefully are developing to be a better and better leader over time. One set of skills is around these agreements you're creating and a cadence creating of how you're going to work together, and clarity about purpose. And then there's another set of skills about how you get the most out of that other person or the team by really tapping into deep, deep intrinsic needs. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the other aspect too is, and it's back to that authenticity, but it's also knowing that it's okay to show some vulnerability too along oh, the yeah. way. You, and then you that, have to. I mean, yeah. nobody wants to work with somebody who is trying to be perfect. Right. And so I wanted to circle back and talk to you a little bit about this amazing experience you've had as a college lecturer. And, you know, you mentioned the year that you took to really you know, get yourself prepared for that. You're at the University of Washington now. You've been doing that for a while. How has teaching changed your perspective on this concept of leadership? Well, Dan, I sure wish I had done that year about 20 years ago. <laughs> um, you know, I, I um I was pleased to learn that the the gut feelings and I, I had about what good leaders do ended up being validated by research. But I think that that teaching, hopefully for me, it, there's a couple of things. One is it it really taught me a, a lot about uh, the leadership domain, and so I, I be, it's become a hobby to learn more and more about it. 
And then, and then I think it's also as a result had me more conscious of how I interact with students. And am am I not only role modeling, but am I am I am I working in a way that um, I really can see them kind of light bulb go on and want to to commit to themselves to to make uh, whatever changes they want to make or, or to leverage whatever strengths they have. So I think the, the long, uh, it's a long winded answer to say I'm, I'm getting, I enjoy and getting smarter about the domain, but also I'm, I'm more interested and sensitive to whether I'm really making a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's that, that, that self-tracking, right. That assessment that's kind of going on in your mind, right. Um, around, uh, you know, really just measuring your your progress and measuring the kind of impact. That's re- that's really interesting. Well, in a, in a business, when you're working in a business, you're focused on business results. When you're teaching, your mind shifts to uh, what results am I actually having on this person? More so, not that you don't do that when you're leading a team, but you really get focused on it more when you're teaching. Right, right. Well, th- we've talked a lot about the people element, but also in organizations. It's people working with technology, and you've had such a tremendous experience uh, working in and around technology. You led a technology industry association for several years, and I'm curious what your perspective is on the impact that this rapid acceleration that we're seeing in technology innovation is having on leadership. That's a good question. I, I don't know if I'm an expert. I'll kind of give you my stream of consciousness, and I'm sure the leader, the listeners will uh, nod their head, and especially with COVID. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the, it's, it's made us certainly more productive. We can do, do more units of work, and we can um, a, a collaborate in an interesting sort of way through the online tools. So I think I think it's been net positive in in certain aspects, um, in 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 giving people more autonomy over how they use their time, which means as a leader you have to double down on the idea that it's not about hours served or you know hours worked, but results achieved. And so I think it pushes leaders to make sure that they're not so worried about you know time in a seat or time on a clock. Now there are some leaders where that's important. Um, it's it's more um, you know are we are, are we agreeing upon what needs to get done and we feel good we're making progress. So there's 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 some positive sides from the employee and the challenge there for the leader. I think the the challenge the difficult is the uh, uh, building relationships and and having. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah building trust that the kind of trust you can get when you are looking at each other face to face um, or uh, laughing together with a group of other people. You don't get the collegiality and the reinforcement right. of you all together being part of something that hopefully is you know greater than yourselves. So you have to just figure out how to make that happen in new ways. So um, I think it's just you, it just presents a new set of challenges to say how am I how am I going to go how are we going to go f- figure out how to make that happen? You know, it's interesting, Ken. That the times we're living in right now, this could be the single biggest like living experiment 
that has ever impacted global business, right? In, in right. our lifetimes. Yeah. And we're living it right now. And the learning uh, that's happening, and we're already seeing organizations start to realize in a whole different way, either maybe uh, before they had preconceptions that virtual uh, work teams weren't going to work well for their culture. Maybe they're they're seeing that in a different light, or maybe they're seeing some of the challenges or issues. But this is a really interesting living laboratory, right, that we're in. Absolutely. I think um, I'm, I'm starting now to pay more attention uh, than I honestly normally would uh, to, to um, some of this uh, working virtually, because we've been working virtually for a number of years, but uh, this is different. And I would encourage people to spend the time to really uh, keep tabs with what we're learning with the experiments companies are trying, what's worked, what didn't work. Because I think we all feel that certainly for some period of time, this is the new reality. And that for the long term, some amount of our teams are going to be operating like this, um, a larger number than it was before. So I think we all just need to learn more through this experiment. You're absolutely right. We're in in the middle of an experiment. And of course, even during this big living laboratory that we're in, there are still going to be organizations that have leadership changes, that have new ownership. So all of the things that you've had to come in and and and, and insert yourself and provide value, I mean, those events aren't changing. But the context, back to that concept of context, that's changing. Yeah. You know, Dan, I have not had an interim assignment for uh, a few months. I haven't had one since COVID hit. And, you know, I, it hasn't been lost on me that if I if I get one coming up here, uh, the way I'm going to enter in is going to be through a Zoom session, and <laughs> yeah. um, that's different than sitting in a room looking people face to face, and um, that's going to create a challenge. Well, as we've talked about, these are truly unprecedented times, and there certainly is uh, continuing uncertainty. There are a lot of questions that aren't answered yet about what the future holds, but. Through all of that, Ken, what makes you optimistic about the future? Well, that's a good question. I, I think I'm just, I'm generally an optimistic person. I don't find that it's very helpful for me. Not, not that I don't um, think um, I'm concerned about things, because I certainly am concerned about a number of things going on in our world, but I um, it doesn't really uh, take any energy forward. So, um it helps me be less stressful when I'm positive. It helps me um, uh, uh, be, think more creatively. Uh, it's kind of the only way that I know how to operate. Um, but, it, you know, it doesn't mean that uh, I'm not sober about uh, how difficult things are. Right. Well, what is really helpful is to get the wisdom and the insight uh, that you've brought here today for all of us in terms of your experience as an interim executive working in uh, highly dynamic technology companies, your role as a lecturer and a teacher and an educator. Ken, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Hey, Dan, thanks a lot. Uh, It was good talking to you. And a reminder to everyone to make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.